journey. We continue our series today called Puzzled, putting back together the pieces of our relationships. And today we're going to talk about kindness. Here's a rule. No nudging today. Okay. All right. In this series, let's just go with a no nudging clause. Here's the question. How kind are you? How kind are you? On a scale from Mr. Rogers to Mr. T, okay? How kind are you? Are you won't you be my neighbor or are you I pity the foo? Who are you, okay? Right? Are you, are you like, oh, I'm pretty close to Jesus today, Brian. Pretty kind. Or are you like, nope, most, more, like, more like the Grinch, more like Ebenezer. Scrooge, how kind are you? Maybe a better question would be, how kind would other people say you are? Right? Like I said, no nudging, okay? No nudging. But how kind would other people say you are in preparation for this sermon? I said to my kids, hey kiddos, daddy's preaching on kindness. How kind do you think daddy is? And they said this, I kid you not, I didn't prompt them or anything, I just said, how kind are you? They said, daddy, sometimes you're sweet. I said, that's awesome. And then they said, but sometimes you're spicy. (laughs) (laughs) Colossians 3, 12 through 15. Since God chose you to be the holy people that he loves, you must clothe yourselves. All right, we're talking in this series about what to put on every morning. So clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must also forgive others. And above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Today, we're going to talk about kindness. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are kind to us. It's your kindness that leads to our repentance. It's your kindness that you've given to us in coming to this earth, giving yourself upon the cross and rising again from the grave and preparing a place for us in eternity with you. It's your kindness that drives that. So we ask that we would be people of kindness well, as well. I pray, God, that you would work in our hearts this morning, God. If there's edges that you need to chisel off, I pray that you would do that pray that you'd make us soft to what you would have to say. And we ask this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So I think it's important for us to start out by defining some of the terminology that we're working with throughout this series. And as I prepared for this, I thought, kindness, that's easy. But as I began to dig in, I thought, man, kindness is actually a little more challenging than I thought it would be. Because at first glance, I thought kindness was just niceness. But can we be honest? Like people, people can say things nicely, but they can say it in a really unkind way, right? I mean, do you, ever, do you ever go on Netflix and watch some of the comedy specials and you're like, everyone's laughing, but that's really mean what they're saying, right? You, you know, like how many of you grew up in the South, okay? Right, so I, we've covered this before. I spent a little bit of time in the South, right? And they have a phrase in the South. If you're from the South, help me with this one. It goes like this, bless his that's right, bless his heart, which, which really, it doesn't mean niceness is coming. It, it doesn't mean kindness is coming. What I found out as I was down there in the South is that if somebody said, oh, Brian, bless his heart, the next thing they were gonna say was not very kind. See, so I think we need to dig into what actually is kindness so that we can take a proper inventory of what's going on in our hearts, what we're clothing ourselves in as kindness. Shanti Feldhan wrote the 30-day kindness challenge. It's at the bottom of your outline. You can check it out later this week. Take the 30-day kindness challenge. But this is how she defines kindness. I think it's a helpful place for us to start. Kindness is genuine care and concern for others. It's genuine care and concern for others. But I think it goes further than that. I think kindness is better observed than defined. It's better observed, it's better seen than defined. And so this morning we wanna see a picture of kindness and I wanna look at a kindness story. A kindness story found in the Old Testament and it is called Ruth. For those of you who say to me, I can't read the Bible, Pastor Brian, it's too long and too hard, here's how long Ruth is, right there, okay? See those two pages? That's all of Ruth. You can do this, okay? So this week, what you're gonna do is you're gonna read this story of Ruth and you're gonna consider the kindness in your own life. It's not a complicated story. It's a story that we can all we can all understand and that we all can say, "Oh, I resonate with that in some way or another." If you promise to read it, I'll give you the cliff notes right now. Fair? Yeah. Oh, no, oh, man. Okay. All right. I'm going to give you the cliff notes anyway because otherwise I'll just pray and we get to get out of here. Okay. So, here's how the story of Ruth goes. There was a woman named Naomi, and Naomi was from Bethlehem, but had moved to Moab, a neighboring land. She was married to a man named Elimelech, which is a mouthful, right? Elimelech. She had two sons, and those two sons were married to two daughter-in-laws named Orpah and Ruth. And as all great stories go, there was a tragedy that happened. That's why the Bible is so great. It deals with the grittiness of life, the realness of life. When it rains, it pours in the Bible. And that's how it feels in our lives too, right? 
And so in this tragedy moment, um, Elimelech dies and both of, both of uh, Naomi's sons die. And so all that is left is Naomi and Orpah and Ruth. This, this tragic moment that sets up our entire kindness story. And Naomi begins this story with an act of kindness. She looks around and says, we have no one to protect us. We have no one to provide for us. In that day and age, if you didn't have a husband or sons to take care of you, you didn't have anybody to take care of you. And so Naomi says, listen, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to go back to Bethlehem, but I'm going to send you back to your homelands as well. You're going to go back to your families. Maybe you can find a good husband and a good life and God will bless you. In fact, this is what she says. She says this, go back to your mother's homes and may the Lord reward you for your kindness and your hu- to, for your kindness to your husbands and to me. Naomi says this to Ruth and Orba. She says, listen, may God remind, he, may, he, may he reward you. May he give you all the kindness that you have shown to me, all the care and the concern that you've shown to me and to my sons. May he reward you well and may he be kind to you. It's the first mention of kindness in this story that sets the whole table for kindness to ensue. And so in the next most heartfelt scene, um, the daughter-in-laws respond to what Naomi is saying. And Orpah weeps and Ruth weeps and Orpah says, I'm going to head home. But Ruth, she clings to Naomi And in this incredible moment, she says to Naomi, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to be committed to you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to show you kindness. And your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Where you die, that's where I will die too. She knits her life together to Naomi. And they head off to Bethlehem. Bethlehem, this curious little town that we hear of throughout the scriptures. They had to Bethlehem to make a life together. It's this great beginning of a story of a friendship, of a relationship. Maybe, maybe you've got a friend like this who says, I will stick with you in the midst of hardship. I'm committed to you. They show up in Bethlehem and Ruth suggest to Naomi that they need to eat, which is important in life, I've heard, right? So they need to eat, and so they need provision. And so Ruth suggests to Naomi that she's gonna go out into the fields and she's gonna glean from the fields. Now, gleaning might be something that it seems like a cultural reference that you don't understand. Here's what gleaning simply is. Gleaning is going out in a field and grabbing whatever is left over. My wife and I uh, lived in the Central Valley of California for a while. And in the Central Valley of California, there are fruits and nuts, and that's not just the people. Um, So, I'm sorry, it was too easy. All right. So, (laughs) man, that wasn't kind. You're right, it's not kind. All right. It's good, though. All right. 
Um, so we were there and there are orchards and there are vineyards and it is a spectacular place. And we used to go out and glean in the fields. The, the farmers around would, it, it was actually, it's actually state law in California that you can actually glean from the fields once the fields have been picked. What we don't realize is that um, the peach trees and the orange trees and strawberries, all these fields, uh, only one third of that produce actually makes it to market. Two thirds of it just rots on the tree or doesn't get picked or it's just not round enough or perfect enough for you to buy at the supermarket. And so it goes to waste. And after they've picked it a couple of different times, they will allow people to go out into the fields and to glean. And I remember going out there with Lori and we would pick peaches by the barrel. Like we'd just pick them and pick them and pick them. Five gallon buckets, we'd come home with all these uh, peaches and not know exactly what to do with them. We'd make jams and jellies and whatever we could possibly do, we'd glean from the fields. And so this is what Ruth is suggesting to her mother-in-law. She's saying, hey, I'm gonna go out in the fields and I'm gonna try to find some grain that's left over. Whatever they've missed, I'm gonna grab that grain off the ground, I'll bring it home and we can be provided for. And she thinks maybe, just maybe somebody will be kind to me and allow me to do that. She says this, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. So Ruth is looking for someone who's going to be kind to her, who's going to put love into action, who's going to say, yes, you can glean from this field. And so she goes out to the field and she's gathering the grains and the owner of the field comes and shows up and his name is Boaz, all right? And I don't know why, but for whatever reason, uh, my wife's other love, Gerard Butler, comes to mind when I say Boaz. I don't know why, I'm just... He, he's he's ruggedly handsome dude and he's got the accent, which sometimes I try to do and Lori's like, you sound more like Shrek. So um, <laughs> it's true. Um, but so Boaz, this man of stature, owns the field, comes out and he says what every man who's about to fall in love says. He says, who is that? <laughs> right? This is, this is probably how you fell in love too. She probably didn't say who is that, but you said who is that. I remember meeting Lori. We were at a big bonfire and uh, we were at this huge party and there was a big bonfire and I saw this gal and she had just the most beautiful smile. And she was engaging with everyone and it was the end of the year and, and, and everyone was hugging her and loving on her. And I'm like, man, people love this gal. She's got this brightness to who she is. Who is, who is that? I wanna, I wanna get to know her. And so Boaz, he instructs his servants. He says, listen, leave a little extra on the field for her. I know who she is. I know, I heard her story. I heard she came with Naomi. I heard about her 
kindness, so, so, so we should be kind to her as well. So leave a little extra on the ground, and she gathers up the little extra, and she comes home to her mother-in-law and says, there was a whole bunch for me to glean from, and look how much we have God has provided for us. And so her mother-in-law says, hey, who, who let you glean in uh, the field? And she says, oh, this guy Boaz, he, he, he let me glean in the field. And Naomi says, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and to the dead. And so Naomi sees an opportunity and she says, listen, I'm gonna suggest something to you. I'm gonna go a little further with this, with this kindness. And she says, Boaz, he happens to be our kinsman redeemer, someone that can redeem our life. If he would marry you, he could redeem us and he could protect us and he could provide for us and, and we could be reestablished as a family. And so she, she suggests something to her. She says to, uh, she says to Ruth, hey, I heard Boaz is going to the threshing floor and the threshing floor is where uh, they would get all of the uh, grain clean, cleaner. Like they thresh it and they get the real grains out, right? And they get the other stuff, the chaff out, okay? So she says, hey, I heard he's at the threshing floor and uh, he, you should go visit him at the threshing floor, which I'm gonna be honest with you, this just doesn't sound PG anymore. Can we just say that? Like, I'm like, oh, you're gonna visit him at the threshing floor, okay, <laughs> all right, right? And, and then it gets better, okay? Boaz is there celebrating the harvest and having a little wine, okay? And he's had a, a decent amount of wine and he goes and, and he lays in the corner. Well, Naomi said, hey, listen, Ruth, if that happens, what I want you to do is go lay at his feet. And I'm like, what? Is this in the Bible, right? And, and then, then her hope is that he would spread his cloak over her. I'm like, is this a euphemism? I don't even, like, I don't, I don't think I should be reading this anymore. Children definitely shouldn't be reading this, right? And this actually happens, right? Ruth, Ruth comes, comes and, and lays down, lays down uh, on the threshing floor and, and Boaz wakes up and, and this is what he says to her. We're gonna explain this in a little bit. The Lord bless you. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. He's talking about when she gave up her life in Moab and came to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law. You have not run after younger men, he says, whether rich or poor. Don't be afraid. I will do what you ask. And, and so Boaz and Ruth, they marry, and they go back to the threshing floor for their honeymoon. Okay. <laughs> That's the end of the story for now, okay? <laughs> I want to talk about this story in terms of two defining characteristics of kindness for the rest of our time together. So two defining characteristics of kindness. And as we do this, I want you to keep asking that question that I asked at the very beginning. How kind am I? So as we walk through this story, one of the first things that we can see is that kindness is revealed in action. Kindness is revealed in action. It's not that people are thinking nicely in this story. 
It's not that people's intentions are nice in this story. It's not that they're kind. Their kindness shows up in their action. We lead people to radical love and action like Jesus here. That's what we do. And that's part of why I love kindness. Kindness is seen in action, right? It's seen. It's seen. We can, we can see it. We can observe it, right? It doesn't happen on accident. It's intentional. And so we see this throughout the story. We see kindness in Orpah and Ruth with their concern for their husband and their concern for Naomi, we have to take inventory on this. How concerned are you really with others? Like, like, does your heart break really with those whose hearts are breaking? There's this phrase, and I I think the intention is good, but I I question how how it lays itself out in terms of kindness. And 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 the quote is something like this. I'm sending you my thoughts and prayers, Right? Like, you've maybe said this, I've maybe said this, right? But, but when I hear it, I'm like, what does that even mean? Right? Have you thought about that? Like, I'm sending you my thoughts. Like, I'm just, I'm gonna sit here and be like, mm-hmm. like, is that what it, like, I'm sending you my thoughts and, and prayers? I actually had this conversation this week with a buddy of mine. Well, I, I didn't have a conversation. I left him a message. It was more like a podcast because it went on for a while, as you <laughs> may expect. And... I, uh, I said, hey, buddy, I, I heard about what's going on this week. I know it's a really tough week. I know there's a lot of transition in your life going on. And um, I just want you to know that I'm with you. I love you. And then I said, and I'm praying for you. And then I stopped during the message. And I was like, actually, that's not true. <laughs> I have not prayed for you in a while. So I'm going to get off this message now. And I'm going to pray for you. And so that's what I did. I got off of the phone, like ended the message, right? And then I, I turned off my radio and I, I just said, God, you know my friend. And, and I just spent some time praying for my friend because he's in a really hard spot. Do you have a genuine concern for people? Like, is there a genuine deep concern for the other. This is one aspect of kindness that it, it requires a response from us, a deep conviction, a deep concern. It's also revealed in action when we see Ruth's kindness to Naomi in, to go with her instead of go back to her homeland. I think another aspect of it is care. Jesus taught it like this. You need to go the extra mile. Maybe you've heard that phrase, wonder where it came from. Came from Jesus, pretty good source, okay? It just means if somebody needs you, you need to go a little further with them. And this is difficult in our, 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 not just our day and age, I think this has always been difficult, right? I think it's always difficult for us because we're busy and we've got a lot of other things going on in our life. And if you've got some painful things, well, maybe I can pray for you. I can have some genuine concern for you. But like visiting with you, spending time with you, having a coffee, praying with you, crying with you, that, it takes time, right? It requires me to go the extra mile. I can't even imagine what was going on through Ruth's head when when Ruth said, listen, I'm gonna go with you. 
I'm gonna forsake my family that could take care of me. I'm gonna go off to a land where I don't know anybody. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. I will be connected and committed to you for the rest of your life. This is such a deep care for somebody. And the question that we must ask ourselves is do we actually care for our friendships? I think this is such an important piece of the puzzle. Do we go the extra mile when somebody has something going on in their life? Are we the one to step up and help that person? You all know kind people, right? They're the ones you call when you've got a project that you can't get done and you need somebody's help, right? Like you're, you're moving and you need somebody to come help you. You know who you call? The kindest person you know. That doesn't mean they might be the nicest person you know, but they are the kindest person that you know. They will respond to you. They will care for you. They will go the extra mile for you in some way that is action. So do we live this care out? Are we concerned? Do we care? Do we consider the cost? The cost associated with kindness. Kindness is actionable, and because of that, it incurs a cost. We see this most vividly in the story when Boaz instructs uh, his, his servants to leave extra grain on the ground, right? That extra grain on the ground is money, that, I mean, Boaz could take that and turn it into money, right? And so he's leaving that on the ground for Ruth. There's a cost incurred. I think kindness costs us something. If you're thinking in terms of your marriage this morning and how, how can I put the pieces of my puzzle back together with my marriage, let's, let's talk about this. Do you consider the cost of a marriage? Like men, can I lean in on you? I'm gonna lean in. I don't care if you say yes, okay? Here we go. I'm gonna lean in on you, okay? Paul said to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And some of you are like, this marriage is killing me. It's costing me a lot. Good. That's exactly what it's supposed to do. I'm serious. It's, it's funny, but it's, it's serious, right? Like, like we... I, <sighs> I get into these uh, conversations with married folks who are struggling and are going, I still want my life. And if she would just understand that I've got all these needs and none of them are being fulfilled, like stop being selfish, guys. Like have you considered the cost it cost Jesus his life to redeem the church? If it feels like marriage is costing you your life, that's because it should. You should consider that cost. For guys who are going to get married, you should consider that cost. Don't get married because it's good for you. It makes you better. It's what you want. Consider the cost. Like a simple way about this for me is like we talk about date night. Lori and I talk about date night all the time, but like I don't incur that cost. Like I'm just going to admit that to you. Like when our when our marriage is not going as well and we're not having good conversation, we're not connecting well. A lot of times it's just connected to the fact that I haven't made time for her. I haven't said we're going to go on a date. We're going to spend time looking face to face. 
eye in the eye because in my head, the cost is too high. I've got too much else going on. I, I, I got too many other things going on. I got too many hobbies that I want to pursue and I haven't considered the cost. Boaz considers the cost and he leaves the grain on the ground for her. Lastly, we see it in commitment. We see Ruth's kindness to Boaz in wanting to marry him rather than chasing after a younger, richer man. She says, I'm committed to you. Uh, The sort of scandalous moment, right? Where she comes to the threshing floor. What's actually happening there is that by laying at his feet and asking that he would cover her with his cloak, she is saying, will you marry me? Will you provide for me? Will you protect me? She's committing herself to Boaz in hopes that he will commit himself to her as well. It's this act of kindness, of commitment to one another. Commitment will help your relationships. Commitment to your friendships. Commitment to your kids. Commitment to your marriage. Commitment to your coworker. It will help put the pieces of the puzzle back together because it's kind. Secondly, kindness leads to the kingdom. Here's how the story Here's how the story ends. So Boaz and Ruth get married and they get to know each other in the biblical sense, if you know what I'm saying, okay? And so, um, and they have a baby, right? And, And this is what it says. They named him Obed and he became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. The great King David. Kindness is revealed in action and kindness leads to the kingdom. The kindness of this story leads to one of the greatest kings of that time. And then, okay, come on, Bible nerds, you're with me, right? You know what happens, right? In the lineage of David who shows up. That's right, everybody knows that answer. You're in church, okay? Jesus shows up, okay? Jesus shows up because of this story of kindness. You gotta wrap your head around this, right? If Ruth is not kind to Naomi, if she says, I'm not gonna go with her, I'm gonna go my own way, I'm not gonna be committed, concerned, caring for her, I'm gonna go my own way. If she doesn't do that, then Obed is not born. Jesse is not born. David is not born. The lineage of Jesus is severed. Do you understand this? Kindness leads to the kingdom. Kindness always leads to the king of kings. So be kind. Be kind. It's kingdom living when you're kind. I think sometimes we think kingdom living is coming someday. No, it's available today. It's available this week. If you will commit to kindness, you will be committed to kingdom life this week. So here's how this all works out in a tangible way. 
Look at the bottom of your outline. It says, my puzzled next step. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to pick someone. If they're sitting next to you, don't write anything. (laughs) (laughs) And they probably, like for some of you, they should be the one sitting next to you. That's okay, that's good, right? Like if every husband in here wrote the name of their wife, your marriage will be better by the end of this week, I promise. I'm just telling you, okay? Okay, so... Write someone's name down, pick someone, and then this, is, this week, this is what I want you to do. Three things. Um, this comes straight uh, out of Shanti. Let me get her name right. Shanti Feldhahn, the founder of the 30-Day Kindness Challenge. She says, do these three things to be kind. This week, refrain from speaking badly about this person. Stop speaking badly about this person. Secondly, find one positive thing to praise or affirm them in every single day. Find a tangible thing to thank them for, to praise them for, to affirm them for each day. And then do one intentional act of generosity for them this week. We can be kind because he was kind. And he is with you. And his kindness is given to you and should overflow out of you. Because you're not alone. The kind one, the king, he is with you. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we're not alone in this, that this isn't about just us fixing ourselves, but It's about your spirit within us guiding us toward kindness. Thank you, Jesus, that you give us the ability to live in your kingdom and to be kind. I pray right now over the names that are rolling in our heads, I pray for kindness upon all of those relationships. I pray, God, that we'd be able to see a tangible difference in our relationships this week because of the kindness which overflows from you and then overflows into the lives of others. God, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.